You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. To analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. My name is Joseph Toscano. Big hello to our producer Kelly Whitworth, who's feeling unwell and is hiding under a blanket somewhere in regional Victoria. So get well. Kelly, because I can't live without you. Not because we're friends, but because I need you to do all the technical work here at the studio. So I'd like to thank the staff here at 3CR for putting us on air and putting up with us today. Now, if you wonder what Anarchy is all about, an Anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society <coughs> which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power and equal access to wealth. Why those concepts, equal power, equal wealth? Very simple. It's inequalities in power and wealth which give people or give rulers the ability to determine the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people. So it's those inequalities which anarchists want to break down. They want to break down those hierarchical relationships. They want to hold wealth in common. So if you're involved in a struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good... Very simple ideas. Well, whether you like it or not, under the definition of anarchism, without rulers, you are an anarchist. Now, when you live as long as I have, you begin to um, realise that uh, nothing is new. Now, I'd like to spend some time, some considerable time, in the current health crisis around this country. And the fact that in 1972, we could have put measures in place which would have resulted in a healthcare system where we wouldn't see the current crisis, COVID-19 or no COVID-19. Because ultimately, a society is determined by the political social structures which have been created in that particular, say, sovereign nation state. And in Australia, we are great supporters of the private investment for private profit mantra. And when you look at parliamentary decisions, our parliamentary snowflake representatives make decisions consistently to promote the private profit, the private investment for private profit agenda, 
irrespective, irrespective of the damage it causes to society. In 1972, when the Whitlam-led Labor government was uh, elected to power, and let's not think it was just the Whitlam-led Labor government, the Whitlam-led Labor government, which is relatively radical agenda compared to Labor parties these days, was pushed into that direction where a more militant population who demanded significant change. And they demanded significant change as far as access to health care access to health care was, con- was concerned. Because apart from Queensland, public health systems, which were run by the states, uh, were on a fee basis, free for, uh, fee-for-service basis. So Medibank, which was the forerunner of Medicare, was introduced in order to give people access to primary health care outside the public health system for a relatively small cost or no cost at all. And bulk billing became an important component of that system. But at the same time, there was a second tier which was introduced by the Whitlam-led Labor government, which I was involved in in those early days. And that second tier was exceptionally important so it could act as a competitive force against the private investment for private profit model which private health care in this country is based on. So although the government was willing to meet the government was willing to meet the costs, while the government was willing to meet the costs of general practitioners and specialists. At the same time, it was trying to develop an alternative health care system which was based on a salaried concept. So the workers in that particular health care centre, and they were described as community health care centres, would actually be paid a salary by the Commonwealth Government to provide a service outside the private hospital network. So what happened initially is communities which did not have access to private services or had inadequate access to private services held public meetings, formed a committee to create a community health centre, a community-based committee, and those organisations were funded by the federal government to set up salaried community health centres which acted as direct competition to the private medical industry. And these community health centres were not just centres where you had doctors. These were centres where you had physios, OTs, dieticians, psychologists, and the list goes on and on. So these plans, which were put forward by the Commonwealth Government and which were initially financially supported by the Commonwealth Government, were to provide an alternative network as far as access to health care, a wide 
variety of health care to people in this country. That's what the community health sector was built for. Now, what happened over the next 20 to 30 years, the control of community health centres as governments changed was given over to the states. And the states, in a rush to save money, basically privatised many aspects of these community health centres, especially access to a medical practitioner. And many community health centres didn't have the the resources to pay salaries to medical practitioners. So what could have been an extensive system around the country which provided primary health care to Australians was strangled, was destroyed. So we were totally dependent, almost totally dependent, on the private investment for private profit model, especially as far as doctors were concerned. So if you didn't work in the public health system, and you worked outside the public health system, the only employment you could obtain in the majority of cases if you're a medical practitioner was in the private health sector. So today, we have a major issue in this country regarding access to primary health care. And what I'm talking about primary health care is not just access to physios, OTs, etc., etc., but access to medical practitioners. One, because of successive governments, both Labor and Liberal, decreasing the Medicare rebate to the private sector, what we have now is a situation where many private practices have to abandon bulk billing in order to survive because the rate of the return has not kept pace with inflation. It was government policy to increase Medicare rebates by half the inflation level for over 25 years, and it continues to be their policy. At the same time, we see an increase in population, an increase in population with chronic health issues as we live longer, an increase in costs for pharmaceuticals as we've privatised even the Commonwealth Serum Laboratory in this, com- in this country. There are no publicly owned facilities which produce pharmaceuticals. So we are paying extraordinary amounts in subsidies to private pharmaceutical corporations to uh, obtain medications for people in this country and the government is paying huge Amounts, For example, the current antiviral medication, which is qu- quite effective, it costs the government $1,100 per 40 capsules. And we've spoken about this before. So if a million people who are eligible for the COVID-19 uh, antivirals access them over the next year, that's a billion dollars cost to the government of the day. So getting back to the community health sector. So what do people do if they're sick? If it's becoming increasingly impossible to get an appointment at a primary health care centre because of a decreasing number of general practitioners, 
because younger people are not moving into general practice because of the lack of rewards in the private sector for general practice and the lack of respect for many general practitioners in this country, people will then flood, as we saw before the introduction of Medibank in 1973, to accident emergency departments across the country because they can access free health care. And as they flood to these accident emergency departments, what we see is the inability of the accident emergency departments to provide emergency care because of the number of people that present with complaints which could be addressed at the primary care centres if they were available. Now, because the private investment for private profit model does not work as far as healthcare is concerned, and because we destroyed philosophically and politically, ideologically, the community health centre, which had salaried staff, including salaried doctors, was not growing, but was destroyed because of ideological considerations, because it went against the private investment for private profit mantra, which dominates healthcare today, what we have now seen is a lack of primary health resources. And if there is a lack of primary health resources because people can't afford them, because there aren't enough general practitioners, because there's, there's no profit in the game, well then what happens is people still get sick. People still grow old. People still have chronic disabilities. So they flood accident emergency departments, which means that people of urgent need wait longer and in many cases don't even, and in some cases don't even survive that wait. So when you talk about accident emergency departments being overwhelmed, they are overwhelmed, not just because of COVID-19, not just because staff are sick, not just because staff are tired, because of ideological decisions which were made over four decades ago, which led to the destruction of an alternative health care system which was which was based on the salaried model. If over the past 50 years, as a society, we had used taxpayers' funds not to provide corporate welfare to some of the richest corporations in this, on the planet, but to actually build, staff and run community health centres that had salaried staff around this country, we would not find ourselves in the current situation. People with chronic health issues would receive the time and the care necessary to prolong their lives and, more importantly, make their lives much more comfortable. People with acute problems would be able to avail themselves of one or the other system, whether it's a private investment or private profit or a community health care system. Say to me, and I've been in the game for 47 years now, in the public health sector, in the last 40 years in the private investment for private profit sector, the fact is that the lack of community health centres 
is the single most important reason that we find ourselves in this situation in 2022. We did not have to find ourselves in this situation. We reap what we sow. And if we allow the healthcare sector outside the public hospital system to be dominated by a fee-for-service model, and that's what is happening today, that's the private investment for private profit model, which is subsidised by the Commonwealth Government, but we don't actually have salaried staff in federal and state government-funded community health centres around the country, in the CBD, in the outer suburbs, in regional towns, in rural facilities, we will continue to suffer the same health outcomes we suffer today. This is no radical rave. This is nothing radical about this. We understand that in all aspects of human existence, in a society which is dominated by a private investment for private profit mantra, that unless you have real competition, real competition from a publicly funded institution, that we will continue to face the problems we face today. For example, health. No public funded community health centres with salaried staff. Big health issues. Aged care. The privatisation of the aged care sector has led to many of the problems we face today in the aged care sector. Finances. We've just had another quarter percent in, in interest rate rises, and I'll talk about that in, in, a, in a few minutes. But the fact is that the finan- with the sale of the Commonwealth Bank, which was publicly owned, there is no competition left in the banking sector. The Reserve Bank increased interest rates yesterday by 0.25%. Within an hour or two, the four major banks had increased their interest rates by 0.25%. There is no competition. Although the Australian Consumer you know, Protection, whatever, ACCC, Assignment Consumer and Protection you know, uh, Facility, which has been set up to ensure there is competition in the private sector, it is not able to ensure competition when a small handful of corporations dominate particular fields of human endeavour. And we see this in the early childhood development sector and the list goes on and on. And to a significant degree, we are seeing this in the National Disability Insurance Scheme where over 50% of money which taxpayers pay to provide services to people with disabilities in this country is eaten up in profits and administration costs from private corporations who are gouging the system. Now, I don't blame them for gouging the system. You know why? Because we have allowed the private investment for private profit mantra to dominate every aspect of our lives. And maybe, you know, if you're a gambler and you can choose from three or four or five different corporations which you know, offer you great rates and in inverted commas, who cares? But if you're providing essential 
services like education, like aged care, like health care, like finances, financial sector, well then maybe having an organisation that is publicly owned will make all the difference. And even when I made the little joke about gamblers, let's not forget that most of the, the TAB was actually publicly owned in the beginning. Even things like Tats Lotto, publicly owned. Profits made went into the hospital system, not into the, not into the pockets of private investors. So we are reaping, you know, we are reaping what we've sown. We have sown the private investment of a private profit model, not just physically, not just ideologically, but mentally. Everybody in this country today, and that includes me and you, is directly affected by the private investment for private profit model. And to a significant degree, most of the issues that never seem to be resolved in this society, although we're relatively rich in resources, educated population, is because of the private investment for private profit model. Every aspect... And we continue mentally to think, to be psychologically inoculated to support these ideas. Although these ideas is what leads to homelessness, people having to sell their homes because of increasing interest rates, people not having a roof over their heads, people having you know to work a number of jobs as contractors instead of having salaried workers, and the list goes on and on. And it doesn't matter what you do, things don't change. It doesn't matter how many philanthropic organisations raise money so that Australians have food security over Christmas or Australian kids to go to public schools. It doesn't solve the issue. The issue is the fact that we have a parliamentary system which is dominated by parliamentary snowflakes. Representatives who we elect, let's not forget that, we elect them over and over again, representatives with agendas which promote and support the private investment for private profit model. The recent federal election and recent state elections in South Australia and Victoria highlight that people continue to think that it's only through the private investment for private profit model that we will flourish as a society. And to a significant degree, this has this change in philosophical outlook by Australians is directly related to superannuation. The compulsory acquisition of your wages, which is theoretically paid by your employer, in order that you can pay for your own retirement when you're old. So everybody somehow thinks 
they're a small investor, that they are part of this system and the type of retirement they will be able to enjoy will be dependent on the success of private investment, whether it's the stock market or some other facility. The fact is that our retirement is not guaranteed by a superannuation scheme which ensures that the rich retire richer because they can put more money aside because of the tax tax-friendly rules regarding superannuation contributions than those who are working on a basic wage. You'll find after a few years that their retirement funds have disappeared and they still have to rely on an old-age pension, which is provided by the state. So we've seen this great change in the Australian psychology. Our expectations... Our belief has a people that it's only the private investment for private profit mantra which will resolve the issues which are never resolved in this society. And if you want to go back to the good old days, in inverted commas, to the 18th and 19th century, when four-year-olds were working in coal mines, where people earned enough just to fill their bellies if they were lucky, where people work extraordinary hours just to fill their bellies, where if they got sick or injured at work, it was their problem, not the employer's problem. If we want to go back to the good old days when the private investment for private profit model was the be-all and end-all of existence, where people starved to death because they didn't actually have enough money Let's go back to that model because that is the model we have supported and created and expanded over the last 50 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation era, which has saddled the world with an economic system based on those concepts. Well, you want to go back to that. And you want to forget the sacrifice of the millions of people who died during revolutionary reformist struggles around the world in order to improve their situation. Then let's go totally back to the private investment for private profit model because that is what we are doing as a society. So all those issues which we face today will continue to be issues in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, the climate emergency or no climate emergency. For example, just just an aside, climate emergency, great investment potential for the private investment for private profit crowd. It's not about changing the way we produce things. It's not about changing what we eat. It's not about changing the way... We practice agriculture. It's all about trying to make a buck out of the climate emergency. You listen to The Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program will be podcast the next few days. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can leave messages on 04. 0439954890439 You can go to the Facebook page 
Joseph Toscana or Toscano for Mulgrave, whatever. Just YouTube channel, public interest before corporate interest. And all this goes on and on. Tons of, you know, virtual shit out there if you want to get access to it. You can always join public interest before corporate interests, an organisation which few people want to flock to, but have a look at the website, public interest before corporate interest, pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can join online and it doesn't cost you a cent. I know, that's an extraordinary thing. Join online, doesn't cost you a cent. Now, for a few interesting things coming up if uh, you live in the city of Melbourne, I'm sorry, but you can do these things in your part of the world. You know, it's all about doing things. It's all about providing resistance to the dominant ideology. That's what struggle is about. It's not sitting at home... Twiddling your thumbs, looking at TV, paying for your Netflix, you know, going on YouTube, getting excited, TikToking, Instagramming, Twittering, clicking buttons, like, 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 like. Waste of time. Maybe you'll learn a thing or two, but a total waste of time while you continue not to be active. Now, I don't care whether you agree with what I say or not. But what I do care about is whether you're going to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for the right moment and then find you're going to be dead before the right moment occurs or whether you're going to be involved in that ongoing struggle to create a society without rulers, to break down hierarchy. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. You look at what's happening around the world. It's not what happens on the bloody net that is relevant. What hap- is what happening on the ground that is relevant? All right. 11th of December, round the corner, a few days away, 1pm. The West Parkwood Rent Collective end of year big day out. That's right. Big day out. Now, the West Papua Rent Collective was uh, initiated by myself and um, uh, Mr. John, Mr. John Lawrence, who recently died, and my late wife, Ellen Jose. Um, friends of John Lawrence, I'd uh, just like to let you know that uh, there will be a little memorial service for John Lawrence at the West Papua Rent Collective do this Sunday, the 11th of December. It'll be at 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Just walk round the back and uh, you'll see everything happening there. Now, John Lawrence's funeral, I understand, will be on Wednesday. I'm still waiting for confirmation. Obviously, um, if you want to go to John Lawrence's funeral, it'll be on Wednesday afternoon. It will be in a regional centre, so there may be a bit of travelling for you. So if you're a friend of John's and you want to be there, uh, give us a call on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and I'll give you out the, the details of the funeral as soon as I can. Now, the West Parliament Rent Collective was formed eight and a half years ago, and for the last eight and a half years we have been providing the rent, the money for the rent, so the West Papua Independence Movement has an office. Not just an office in Melbourne, 
for the Provisional Government of West Papua, but an office which is instrumental in formulating policies regarding West Papua independence movement is concerned, an office which is instrumental in organising activities to highlight the West Papuan struggle. Because when you look at the situation in Indonesia, which controls West Papua, when you look at what's happening in Indonesia currently with the changes in laws which restrict quite heavily people's not only ability to conduct their lives in the way they see fit as far as their personal relationships are concerned, but in terms of criminalising activities like criticising the president, you begin to understand that the current so-called democratic system has more to do with the Suharto regime, the dictatorship which ruled Indonesia for over three decades, than it has anything to do with... uh, freedom struggle. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about West Papua because a lot of people don't even know it exists. Now, West Papua is 67 kilometres from the Australian coast, all right? A miserable 67 kilometres. Not far, is it? There are over 220,000 Indonesian soldiers in West Papua. They are there to maintain order because West Papua is an extraordinarily rich resource country, rich in forestry, which has been cut down at a rate of knots for oil palm palm plantations, rich in its fisheries around its coast, rich in natural resources. It's got the biggest deposit of gold in the world, ever found in the world, and the list goes on and on. Now, West Papua, although supposedly it's a province of Indonesia, is nothing more than a present for the Indonesian military, which basically controls not only what happens in West Papua in terms of people's lives, but how resources are extracted. And the Indonesian military continues to make a handsome profit not the Indonesian people, but the Indonesian military, especially their upper echelons. Now, there is one Indonesian soldier for every male West Papuan. You think about it. If you walked out of your house after this broadcast and you kind of looked at the people in your street and there were 20 people in your street, let's say Australia was in the same situation, half of the people you would see in the street would be armed soldiers from an occupying force. Think about it. So the chances of West Papuan independence are slim. But they're still there because things change and the West Papuan people have not forgotten. And this particular period is an important period because the 1st of December is West Papuan Independence Day when the morning star is raised, which is their independence flag. You can be in jail for up to 10 years if you're not shot dead for raising the Morning Star in West Papua or any part of uh, Indonesia. So the West Papua Rent Collective does one very important thing. By us Australians paying the rent, 
we allow the West Papuan independent activists in this country to conduct their independent struggle in the way they see fit without the problem of raising money to keep a roof over their heads. The West Papuan Rent Collective, which I'm a conven- the convener of, is basically an organisation made up of people like you and me who donate a dollar a day. That's a dollar a day towards the rent. A dollar a day, $30 a month roughly, towards the rent. You can do it anonymously. You can brag about it. But the fact is, we have now been going for over eight and a half years. The office continues to play an important role in independent struggle. It's not the only role, but it does play an important role in terms of coordination, organisation, contact within West Papua, and the list goes on and on. So, I am inviting you as the convener of the West Papua Rent Collective, to come along to our end-of-year gathering. It starts at 1pm with a West Papua lunch. That's on Sunday, the 11th of December. It's 838 Collins Street, Docklands. Just catch the tram down Collins Street and you'll come across it quite easily down in Docklands. Come round to the back. That's where all the activities are. There'll be guest speakers... You can meet other members of the Rent Collective. You don't have to be a member of the Rent Collective. If uh, you're a member of the Rent Collective, three lunch. You get three three lunches at, during the year for a beautiful $365. Can't get that at an expensive restaurant, can you? Just being facetious. The thing is, look, you may have a recalcitrant relative and you may be dragged to one of these end of year, whether it's Christmas or New Year, you know, family gatherings, and you're really wondering what to give these people that have everything. Well, one thing you can give them is a one year's membership to the West Papuan Rent Collective. And if you do that between now and the end of the year, we'll give you a little certificate, which you can put in a little envelope, which you can give to your recalcitrant neo-fascist uncle. I'm sure that'll light up his eyes. But on a more serious note, as I said before, you're welcome. Now, there will be an auction which will begin at 3pm and the auction is to raise money for the West Papuan Rent Collective. Fortunately, we have two stools, one stool and one side table made by the well-known furniture maker, David McKenzie, all this material is from recycled timbers. They'll be auctioned. Uh, the Reverend, Reverend Stringer has donated a West Papuan shirt and a West Papuan piece of cloth to be auctioned. And I might even bring some of my vegetables to be auctioned, who knows. But the thing is, the thing is that it's a gathering of people with similar ideas who want to support this independence struggle. I mean, you can give your money to some type of philanthropic organisation and see a fair amount lost in you know, running costs. But every dollar which is donated to the West Park and Rent Collective is used to pay the rent. Every dollar. 
and I can give a personal guarantee that this has occurred for the last eight and a half years. So, come along. Look before you buy. Take part in the auction. Donate money. Have a good feed. Listen to the guest speakers. You can't go wrong. And at the same time, you are assisting one of the most important independent, uh, national independence struggle that we have on planet Earth today. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now let's get back to the private investment for private profit model. You know that I'm, you know, I just cannot stand the way this country's natural resources, this country's, the First Nations people and our natural resources, how they are being exploited by the private sector courtesy of the parliamentary snowflakes that sit in the Houses of Parliament in this country at the state and federal level, especially at the federal level. These are representatives which you elected to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, hoping against hope that they would somehow, somehow provide the basic resources that are necessary for a society to function so that every human being on this continent was able to share in that extraordinary bounty that we have. So what's the latest debate? Well, the latest debate is there are escalating energy prices. So the government, in its wisdom, is going to put a price cap, or is trying, the keyword is trying, to put a price cap on gas and coal. Now, these corporations are making extraordinary profits, extraordinary profits from our resources because we have allowed them to develop them privately, private investment for private profit, as if we as a people couldn't raise the necessary funds to develop these resources for our personal gain. So we could establish a network of community health centres so we wouldn't have the problems we have today. Or we could establish a publicly owned aged care sector. You know? And the list goes on and on. So what's the debate? Oh, you can't put a price cap. If you put a price cap, you need to compensate us. Hang on. Well, why doesn't the government directly then give money to people who use energy to help them pay their bills? Why should we compensate these people? As far as I'm concerned, we should nationalise. That's right, the N-word. Horrible word, it's worse than the C-word. Capitalism I'm talking about. Nationalise all these corporations. Nationalise without compensation. They've made enough profits as it is. Why they should be allowed to continue to make profits at our expense when we can't even provide a roof over the heads of so many people in this country? When we talk about the lack of food security, extraordinary, just extraordinary. What's the point of electing these parliamentary snowflakes if they've got no policies? If all they do is kowtow and melt, you know, melt below the, you know, before these corporations who somehow think that they own us, 
they own this country, that we owe them a living. Think about it. It's a disease. It's a disease we're all infected with. A few of us are inoculated against the private investment for private profit mantra which dominates every aspect of our existence on this planet. A few of us, the majority of Australians, think it's a wonderful, wonderful idea. Maybe if the numbers grew, you became a little more active, maybe things would begin to turn around and change. If a Martian came, well, let's say, let's say somebody from another galaxy came down to Earth and uh, it, we'll call it it, arrived in Australia and it saw the inequalities and it saw the, the wealth, the natural wealth, the human wealth that we had in this country and it saw all the issues that we face which we can never resolve, the first thing they'd say is, why have you organised your society in this way so only a few prosper at the expense of everybody else? Are you people mad? Are you totally mad? Why are you worshipping at the feet of mammon? What's wrong with you people? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You can resolve all the issues you've got within a few years. As long as you divest yourself of the private investment of a private profit mantra or at least set up some viable competition through publicly owned facilities. Ah, well. The ball's in your court. You may say, I'm just one person. What can I do? Well, every idea starts with one person. Every journey starts with a first step. These aren't new ideas. All right, a little bit of fun. Yes, we all need a bit of fun, especially at the end of the year. Now, currently, the anarchist world this week finds itself in debt to the community radio station 3CR. And in a fun way to get rid of our debt, we have decided, well, we have, not just decided, in conjunction with Community Radio 3CR, we've produced these Anarchist Will This Week T-shirts, which are available for a miserable $35 plus postage if you can't come to the radio station to pick it up. Half, half of the amount goes directly into the fund to get rid of um, the Anarchist Wills this week's debt to Community Radio Station 3CR. So on Wednesday, the 21st of December, if you do find yourself in Melbourne and you need an Anarchist Will this week T-shirt and you haven't got one yet, we're going to have a flash mob. That's right, a flash mob, an Anarchist Will this week 3CR T-shirt flash mob at 11am on Wednesday the 21st of December after the program. Take a lot of pickies. Come and get, buy an Anarchist World This Week T-shirt. You could always, hey, I just remembered, you could always buy it as a Chrissy present or an end-of-year present for that uncle 
who's a neo-fascist. I'm sure they'd like to wear it. Great way of slapping them in the face without being slapped back. So come along, 3CR. You're interstate. You can always post it out. Go to the 3CR shop, 3cr.org.au shop. You'll see the Anarchist World this week. T-shirts up for sale. But the great thing about the flash mob is after that we'll wander somewhere for a drink, end of year gathering. That's the great thing about, um, you know, as I say, we try to create a community. You like that word? A community of like-minded people. Because, you see, when you've got ideas like we promote here in the Anarchist World this week, you may find yourself as being part of a minuscule, marginalised community. Because obviously the private investment for private profit mantra is so pervasive in our society today that we are willing to suffer as a people in order to maintain that ideological purity. So you may find yourself, you're a minuscule, marginalised minority. So coming along to something like the um, Anarchist World this week, T-shirts, 3CR flash mob, is one way of meeting like-minded people. Another way is we've been holding a, a vigil for eight years now. This is our eighth year. Public housing, everybody's business. On the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, Midday, every Thursday, followed by a, a lunch down at the uh, Paramount. So come along to that. Even if you come along to one, you meet like-minded people. And there's nothing better than meeting like-minded people in order to, one, reinforce your ideas and, two, make yourself feel better. Because we're not as isolated as we think we are. Because to a significant degree... Questions are continually asked in this country by many, many people. Why do we find ourselves in this situation? As Professor Julius Sumner Miller used to say, why is it so? The issue isn't why. The issue is what are we going to do about it? Are we going to continue to prop up the electoral system? I mean, people who think that I prop up the electoral system... I use the electoral system to get ideas across. It's one of the few times in Australian life where people actually talk about ideology, sometimes anyway, about different ways of approaching problems. It's a tactic. And I think we all need to be involved in something bigger than ourselves, especially if we're on that journey of trying to introduce radical change, change based on anarchist concepts, which is creating a society without rulers. And why do we want to do this? Not because we're religious fanatics or secular fanatics, but because we think, no, not think, we know this is the best way to address many of the problems which never, never, never seem to be solved in our society. So... As I said before, there are many ways you can become involved. If you're interstate, I'm sure there are groups and individuals that think the same way. But as long as we continue to be isolated individuals or small groups thinking that somehow being involved in 
you know, issue-orientated politics is going to change anything permanently. Think again. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this program for many years now. And if you are interested in ideas, why don't you think about joining public interest before corporate interest? Pipsy, go to pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Why not put the interests of the many before the interests of the few? Why continue to worship at the foot of mammon? It doesn't cost anything to join public interest before corporate interests. You know, I'm a member. I'm the current secretary. Public interest before corporate interests. Simple concepts. We get enough members, we can register as a political party. Try to raise these issues in other forums. Very simple. If you can't do that, why don't you support the West Papua Independence Movement? If you can't do that, just have a look at the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, anarchistmedia.org, another webpage, pipsy.net, another webpage, Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public, and the list goes on and on. Because the issue isn't about your digital footprint. The issue is, and with a new year coming up, is what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to complain and do nothing? Or are you going to accept the mantra that we are the people we've been waiting for? That's right, we. We're not waiting for our political leaders to do anything because they've turned out to be parliamentary snowflakes. Melt. They melt when they see... You know, the corporate world mobilise. We're not waiting for our religious leaders. They've all seemed to have different ideas about how to reach nirvana. We're not waiting for the people down the road to do something about it. You need to tear up your membership cards of the somebody should do something about that tribe. Big tribe in Australia, somebody should do something about that tribe. And you also need to tear up your membership card of the Gunner tribe. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Because while you remain a member of those tribes, nothing will ever change. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. We'll be podcast the next few days. If you're interested in, if you're a friend of John Lawrence and wants to go to his funeral on Wednesday, give me a call. 0439-395-489-0439-395-489. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Three C courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen in next week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds at plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Brainwash minds. Oh, larger.
Become a 3CR subscriber today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03-9419-8377. Be a part of your community radio station. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.